0: The following program is brought to you by Taste Bud Entertainment. Food, food. Welcome to two hours of delicious conversation with Chef Jamie Gwinn. Dish with celebrity chefs, cookbook authors, and food experts, and gain inspirational ideas. You'll learn kitchen wisdom, wine education, and culinary trends, and eat and drink like you've never done before. Food and wine with Chef Jamie Gwen starts now.
1: We're celebrating the best of summer because we have a taste for life. Good morning, food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio once again. A very ha- uh, happy and hot Sunday to you. Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana, KFWB News Talk 980, dedicated to delicious dishes. The heat is definitely throwing me, so don't turn that oven on. Fire up the barbecue and plan a party. We're creating way beyond mere eating and drinking delectables. We're on a mission to find the most exciting places, new experiences, emerging trends. And Fabulous Food, and it's our goal to bring you the best interviews and products and insight into the wide world of food, making your life better just one day at a time. This is your lifestyle show, and we hope that you'll tune in every Sunday right here beginning at 8 a.m. for two hours of delicious conversation. Food is life. Create and savor yours. Good morning to you, Lana. Good morning, So coming up this hour and next, we have a chock full show and a very full plate and one that we hope will bring you inspiration, information, and you should stay tuned because you just might learn something. Coming up next hour, you'll hear from pastry chef Abby Dodge. She's sharing sweet recipes for the end of summer. We're celebrating the pig because Chef D. N. Wynn of Break of Dawn is teaching us how to make his homemade bacon, taking pork belly to a whole new level. And we're going to tell you about our recent jaunt to Las Vegas and, in fact, a property in Las Vegas on the Strip that's really bringing a whole new life to Vegas, in my opinion, it really is an incredible experience that goes way beyond the casino life. And so, stay tuned. We'll share that with you coming up next hour. But this hour, you're going to better your career and learn tips to really make your job that much more rewarding. Career coach Maggie Mistel of Martha Stewart Living Radio is going to share tips on finding your life's purpose, why business cards are so important, and a couple of tips that you might find really valuable. I know I will when it comes to networking. Also, we're going to talk about the virtues of honey and all the beautiful benefits that when it comes to even allergies, honey does definitely give us. So stay tuned. Honey Pacifica's John Poto with us. And we're talking about some of the hottest new spirits with Jeff Hall of Chapter One, The Modern Local. So we do have some fabulous fun planned. We're also broadcasting live next Sunday, and we're inviting you to the party. It's Hatch Chili Fest 2002. 12, and we're going to tell you all the particulars in just a moment. But we'll kick off this morning with our technique of the week, hoping to make you a better cook one method at a time. And this week's technique of the week is all about your garden. There is nothing better than garden fresh pesto. And mom, I have wonderful memories of you making pesto uh, most of my life. In fact, everything going into the food processor, the mix of herbs and nuts and uh, a bounty of beautiful Parmesan cheese, depending upon what was in the fridge or in the bin. Mm -hmm. And pesto's become very controversial, actually, as the food world has evolved by hand or by machine to blanch, Or not to blanch? That is the question. Well, uh, the minimalist, Mark Bittman, and Tom Colicchio, both uh, chefs you know and love from television and beyond, are both blanchers. And I am unswayable and will tell you I am not. And Lana, you haven't turned the corner and become a blancher, now have you? Not in the time I've known, at least.
2: Every once in a while.
1: And why, may I ask?
2: because it does keep the basil green if you are going to hold on to it a long time otherwise it does turn a grayish black shade if you keep it in the refrigerator too long
1: if you use it right away you're fine but I Mm -hmm. agree with you it does really beautify the color Mm -hmm. one of the things that Mark Bittman points out too which I happen to agree with is if you're using fresh young soft basil leaves you get a brilliant Italian pesto but if you find that the basil is a little bit older and the leaves are a little bit firmer mm-hmm. sometimes the blan- sometimes rather the blanching helps so the conversation is how to make the very best pesto i love pesto but i don't particularly crave it i mean i always remember that when the garden was bountiful or you bought the family pack of basil you always made pesto but right now at the heat and height of summer my pesto my basil plant rather is just monstrous. So I figured now is the time to make a batch of fresh summer basil and the combination of herbs and nuts is really up to you. You want to start with fresh basil leaves and you do want to try to use it right away. I think it's just beautiful used the same day on just cooked capellini and then you finish the bowl and you don't have to worry about the shelf life of anything really. Um, but I like a combination of herbs. So I do basil, parsley and then You know, I'm a mint lover, right? So I Mm -hmm. always throw in sprigs of mint. I think that's the ultimate summer pesto. Mm.
2: And I like a spinach pesto. Yes. I make a a spinach pesto with two cups of spinach, and then I spread it on cooked or grilled chicken breasts. That's
1: really delicious. Which is
2: very nice. I
1: think during the winter, if you Mm -hmm. add in spinach or arugula, you get a sort of spicier note, Mm -hmm. fresh thyme you can always add for a bright Lemony flavor. Now, when it comes to nuts, toasting them is essential. They can be pine nuts or walnuts. They can even be pistachios. I make a pistachio mint pesto that you love that I think mm-hmm. is a beautiful complement to, uh, to lamb. Mm-hmm. Marcona almonds from Spain are an especially scrumptious addition um, garlic of course optional but I think necessary mm-hmm. and it could be a raw clove it could be blanched along with the basil if you want to soften the flavor mm-hmm. it could be roasted garlic cloves that you've roasted yourself or bought in that perfect package at Bristol Farms in the deli section where they just put it right into that square container for you and you keep roasted garlic cloves in the fridge all the time then you throw them into everything you make mm, super what a nice idea roasted garlic adds to me that umami flavor that I love. And then remember, just because you've been making pesto the same way forever doesn't mean that you can't improve it. So you could always add a new herb to your signature recipe and see how it turns out. Now, both of us, I know, place all of the ingredients in the food processor Run it until the herbs are finely minced. That makes a smoother pesto in the end. If you like it a little uh, more textured, per se, then you wouldn't chop the herbs too finely in the beginning steps. And then you drizzle in good quality olive oil, and the pesto comes together in this gorgeous, hopefully very bright green paste. Freshly grated pecorino or parmigiano-reggiano cheese seasoned with salt and pepper, and you have a sweet summer sauce for everything. hmm Now, I like pesto on um, grilled and roasted meats, like you mentioned, tossed with shrimp, (laughs) stuffed into a chicken breast with a piece of buffalo mozzarella and roasted to golden goodness. You can mix it into the ricotta cheese for your lasagna. And then I think it makes a perfect picnic salad dressing. If you want to mix it into potato salad or couscous, Mm -hmm. you have a heat-proof dish that you can take just about anywhere. And then tossed with freshly made gnocchi, if you're sitting in a trattoria in Italy, then there's nothing better. You know how delicious it can be? I'm trying to take myself back there to our last trip. And um, that is my summertime pesto.
2: Sounds very delicious. Thank you. If you refrigerate your pesto and when you take it out, uh, add a splash of some of the pasta water. Smart. To
1: it. Yes. A little bit of that starchy water definitely Mm -hmm. loosens the pesto, but creates a really nice sauce. Mm -hmm. And we do love, again, pesto and lamb.
2: And also mix together, uh, heat together some cream and butter if you're really splurging. And then add your pesto and your pasta, and you have a cream Mm. pesto pasta.
1: What time's dinner? soon. That sounds crazy (laughs) indulgent. I'm in. We're celebrating Hatch chili season with the kickoff to Melissa's World Variety Produce Live Roasting Days at Bristol Farm Stores, and we're hoping that you will join us. So please mark your calendar. Next Sunday, we will be at Bristol Farms Manhattan Beach beginning at 8 a.m. We are broadcasting live. Great guests. You'll learn how to make a chili ristra. We have Chris Capehart, the number one knife sharpener in the country, bringing his knife sharpening truck and you can bring your knives to the parking lot of Bristol Farms Manhattan Beach and have them sharpened for $3 each he will hone your edge to the most extraordinary blade you have ever experienced and truly your dishes will come alive with flavor because your mise en place your prep will be better than ever trust me sharp knives make all the difference in the world in every cook's kitchen so please next Sunday you have an opportunity Chris Capehart's bringing his mobile knife sharpening Truck, bring your knives out. We'll be broadcasting live from 8 to 10 a.m. at Bristol Farms, Manhattan Beach. Melissa's will be roasting hatch chilies live, the kickoff to New Mexico hatch chili season. And
2: hatch chili chocolate truffles. <gasps>
1: yes, Tracy, Tracy Downey. Downey will be
2: over to show us how to make them and taste them as well. And you'll be tasting uh, hatch chili ginger ale.
1: Mm.
2: Oh, it's very delicious.
1: So delicious. You've got the carbonation, the bubbles, you've got the sweetness of the ginger ale, you've got A little bite of hatch chilies hidden Mm -hmm. somewhere, Mm -hmm. but you'll have to come join us for a big breakfast Mm -hmm. buffet. It's on us. Great giveaways and chilies galore. You're invited following the live broadcast. We're going to be doing an in-store demo and tour. You're going to get a produce 101 lesson, and I'm going to be grilling out at the backyard barbecue at Bristol farms, Manhattan Mm -hmm. beach eight to noon next Sunday, August 19th. Don't miss it. You're invited. It's a free party. And it's hatch chili season, so you're going to want to get your fix. And
2: all the wonderful Bristol people will be there, and Robert and Ida, and everyone from uh, Melissa's Melissa's, as well.
1: Chef Tom and Chef Marco, everybody. We can't Mm -hmm. wait. And Chef Mickey, too. Mm -hmm. Uh, We also hope that you have submitted your best chili recipe. It's a chili challenge, and we are naming the winner next Sunday. You still have a few days to submit your best (coughs) chili recipe to win a $100 gift card to Bristol Farms to shop at any store you like and all you do is send your recipe to live L-I-V-E at chefjamie.com can or cannot include hatch chilies
2: any kind of chili. Any kind. Really. We know some of you do not want to submit your recipes because they are <laughs> very <laughs> well, under secretive.
1: Yes. So find a secondary chili recipe on your computer. Send it to us. You just might win. It's worth a hundred bucks, and you're sharing a recipe with fellow food lovers. There's more delicious conversation right after this. By the way, serving up seconds at chefjamie.com. You'll find all the information for the live broadcast, our chili contest, and how to make the very best pesto. When we come back, Maggie Mistel cnn's favorite career coach live don't go away cnn dubbed maggie mistel one of the nation's best known career coaches she's a certified life purpose and career coach and her passion is her career consulting practice working with people of all levels and backgrounds to soul search research and job search into their ideal careers welcome back chef jamie gwen along with lana in your radio making your life better one delicious conversation at a time maggie mistel joins us live once again and we're always delighted when she treats us to some conversation she is the host of making a living on martha stewart living radio back because they have very good taste fridays once again at 4 p.m i believe eastern standard time and she's sharing some grand career tips this morning good morning maggie Good morning, Jamie and Lana. And I do have a new time for my radio show. Oh, forgive me. Do tell. That's okay.
3: Five o'clock, just one hour later, five o'clock eastern, two PM Pacific.
1: Oh, very good. We will tune no Fridays, in. Though. Yes. Happy hour
3: on Fridays for that, your careers. I was I like
1: gonna say, that is a very happy exactly. hour. <laughs> We like so that. People, well, people
3: feel like drowning their sorrows with something else. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, wi- with Maggie missed I was going to say, Maggie, will listen with a cocktail. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, hey, that works even better. <laughs> that um, makes for better calls. <laughs> you know, we're mid-summer now, and we know that there are always career challenges. It doesn't matter the season. But I have always loved reading your blog, and I know Lana has as well, because there's constant learning to be had, whether you're really secure in your job or maybe in uh, a more uncomfortable or iffy position. There are tips that you give that I think apply to all of us. They're very universal. And I love the piece on your website about having a personal business card. And this applies to everyone, right? Oh, absolutely.
3: And it's one of the things that I've actually learned, you know, in my own career, my own life, when it comes to expressing who you are, Jamie and Lana, you know, sometimes our day job isn't a fit for every single thing we want to do. And we have other interests or we have other passions or we have a side business or even a side project or gig or affiliation that we want to be able to highlight to people. So what I often tell my clients, because most of the people that I work with are multifaceted, and they want to express all their components, is to have, it's almost I've heard it called a pitch for every niche. You know, have your business card that demonstrates, hey, if you're a career coach, great. If you want to be a cabaret singer, great. You could do that, too. If you want to be a radio host, you can have that, too, and you can actually have separate cards for these separate identities so that when you network, it's actually more clear to people who you are and what you are, and it doesn't look confused.
1: See, I think that's so very smart, too. I've always believed in the power of the business card. Lana taught me that. I think it makes you memorable. And I've always believed in investing in the good quality business card. And you really suggest that it have some color or a quote or something that really screams who and what you are, what you want, what you want to be.
3: Yeah, my business cards are a bright blue. They're like this, this teal, not quite electric, but close. And every time I bring it out, I get the ooh. <laughs> right? I mean that's what you want, don't you? You want the card that people are like, Oh, this is you know, this is not what I expected, but I like it. Um and, and honestly, I mean you know, I actually do have um, you know, people that I've invested in from a graphic design standpoint, I mean, there are really talented people out there who can help you come up with your quote unquote identity. And, you know, and it's their talent and their passion. So that's what obviously what I'm keen on is always leveraging people to do their best and what they're best at. So I would absolutely recommend, even if you don't feel you're particularly creative, you know, tap into friends, family, or people you know who are creative because it can make a big difference in the reaction you get.
4: Mm.
2: I love the business card that you show on your blog. Yes, that's the one, the
3: one from my cabaret day.
2: Yes, it's quite, yes. but it really speaks to you.
3: Well, you know, and, and that one
2: came from a site called
3: Vistaprint, right, which, you know, there's, and there's lots of sites out there, but Vistaprint, V-A-S-T-A-P-R-I-N-T, um, you know, is actually a really easy site. That was a template, believe it or not. That was one of their templates that already existed, so I didn't have Ooh. to go through a professional designer. And for those of you who haven't seen it, if you go to MaggieMistle.com, what it is is this great velvet red in the back uh, with a microphone. And and for me, you know, to do Cabaret was actually a side dream that I'd always harbored. Um, And to have this card that had my Maggie Mae mistle, which is actually my real middle name and my stage name, uh, was just a joy. It was a joy to make those cards. And it took all of, I think, maybe, maybe a $50 investment, if even that.
2: Oh, See, that's fabulous. I love it because it really stopped me to read it, to look at it, to yes. take it in. And I noticed so many times handing my card or taking a card from someone that I just go, thank you and put it in my purse.
1: No, it, it yeah, has how often to, do we even
2: look at them,
3: right? That's mm-hmm. the Sometimes thing.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Go ahead, Batman. you do not even do that? And what one one actually tip that I didn't include in the blog, but I think it's important for your listeners to know, um, you know, because again, you want to remember or be remembered. Um, you know, it doesn't always make sense to get the laminate or the shiny business card. Sometimes you really want to get the matte ones um, or at least have one side matte because then if the person wants to take notes to, to remember more about you, they can. It's really hard to write in the ones uh, that are laminated, or are laminated.
1: Oh, that is super smart. Super smart,
3: simple, but really effective tip, because, you know, that's that's also one of the networking tips to say, hey, after you've networked with someone, write down things on their business card so you'd remember who it is.
1: (laughs) So give us a couple of more uh, of those networking tips, if you would, please, Maggie, maybe your top two. If we're uh, meeting new people, if we're going to a trade show per se, what is the best way to keep those relationships to nurture them?
3: I think number one, Lana, and this is the advice I consistently give to my clients, especially anybody who's nervous about networking or hasn't done it in a while or is in a position where they feel they have to land a job so there's even more pressure on their networking, you still need to go in as if you're making friends, right? You cannot put performance pressure on yourself when you're attending a networking event, whatever it happens to be, because then it just ends up being uncomfortable. And and I've talked to those folks and I've even felt like that person. At certain times, I've been like, oh, I have to go talk to so-and-so. And I have to make sure I make the most of this event. And you go in stressed out. Mm-hmm. And, and these, networking is not about stressing yourself or others out. It's really about making genuine connections with people. So what I coach my clients to do is to relax and to go in and just pretend as if they're there to make friends with as many people as they can and to share about who they are, what they're interested in doing. And that's more fun and more relaxing and ultimately more fruitful than the other type of networking where we feel we have to shove our business card into as many hands as possible.
0: Yes,
1: and I agree entirely. And if we all went about our business lives and even our personal lives that way, I think we'd be far more successful at nurturing the relationships that are most important. With about 60 seconds left, Maggie, it's Jamie here. Um, Talk about, if you would, that very interesting blog from a client's perspective that you posted on how he turned a layoff not only into the dream job that he's always wanted, but into a promotion.
3: Yes, it's a fantastic story, and I'm so glad it's true because I get to hear these stories all the time, but they don't often get into the media. So thank you, Jamie and Lana, for doing this. Yes. Uh, yes, number one, what he did was this gentleman, you know, one of the key things I recommend everybody does is soul search before they job search. Get clear on what you really want to have happen, not just what you think you can get or settling for what's out there. And this gentleman and I worked together to really get clear on the next – big step he wanted to take, and it was redefining a lot of what he had done and, and taking it to a different level than, than in the past. And so what was really key in turning his layoff into a promotion was being clear when he was networking with friends, with family, with anybody who said, hey, can I help you out, with what he wanted to do, not just what he had been doing, but to focus on, yeah, that's great, and I know you can get me back in the same job or the same company, you know, same type of company, but really what I want is this. Okay. And that level of clarity and confidence when he shared what he really wanted hmm. was what made all the difference in his networking. Even when he used LinkedIn and was almost, I don't call it blind networking, but kind of when he was making new connections, it was so critical because people don't know how to help you unless you tell them. And if you read that blog post at maggiemistel.com about how Troy, this gentleman Troy, turned a layoff into a promotion, you'll really see um, that number one to his networking was not being afraid to talk about how, yeah, he'd been laid off, but more importantly, where he was going from here. Very exciting.
1: Really, an an amazingly inspirational. Please find Maggie's blog on her website at maggiemistel.com to read more. You can live the career that you want every day, and Maggie can be your career coach. She is CNN's favorite and ours as well, and you will find her once again back on Martha Stewart Living Radio now at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time every Friday on Sirius XM. Maggie, we will be tuned in and we thank you for, as always, sharing your passion. Ladies, always Um, great to speak with you. You're doing great work too. I love these delicious conversations. Yes.
2: We (laughs) We can't wait to uh, listen in on Friday.
1: Thanks for adding a little bit of sweetness, Maggie. When we come back, we're going to sweeten it up even further with the virtues of honey. Stay tuned. If you're flavor obsessed, then you're in the right place. Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana in your radio. This is your culinary playground, serving up seconds and recipes galore at chefjamie.com. Raw honey is a natural alternative to the processed sweeteners that we're all trying to stay away from. And it contains a cocktail of healthy ingredients. And in fact, many of the health benefits of honey are lost when it's filtered and heated above ambient temperatures. Chances are, if you don't know where your honey is coming from, then it's imported. And buying local honey is so much better for the environment, for the beekeepers, and for you. Well, John Poto is at the helm of Pacifica Local Honey. He is the beekeeper producing honey in a brand new line available at Bristol Farms. And we wanted to share with you the beauties of not only his absolutely pure, fresh, organic honey, but his flavor-enhanced honeys as well. We caught up with him just earlier in the week. So take a listen. Okay, so how do you create flavor-infused honeys?
5: Well, basically the first step is to start with a good quality honey, mm-hmm. like a, some good wildflower honeys. We take a combination of wildflowers, and we, we whip it mm-hmm. um, so it's crystallized and it's nice and smooth, and then mm-hmm. we add some natural extracts to it, and then we just continue to, to uh, blend it. Oh. That's how we, it's pretty basic, you know, but that's how we do it.
1: The creamy mango, we're tasting, by the way, Honey Pacifica for the first time with you. And the creamy mango is luscious. Can you imagine, Lana, I'm thinking of making rice pudding Mm. and drizzling creamy mango honey over it. Oh, that would even be beautiful on a cheese platter.
2: And I'm tasting the wildflower honey and serve it with fried chicken. Oh, yeah, baby. Okay, John,
1: talk about the different varieties of honey because as the the beekeeper for Honey Pacifica, there's a lot of incredible knowledge that goes into actually raising bees for honey, and there's lots of different varieties. So start us at the beginning. You keep these bees for the beauty of their honey?
5: Yeah, well, we we keep about we keep around 600 colonies and what we do is we that's a fairly small beekeeping operation these days in california but, so what we do is we try to make specialty honeys. We move our hives around a lot and we're sort of looking for different floral sources that you know we want honeys that have a real distinct flavor so we'll go anywhere from the mountains to make the sage honey which is a real light super mild honey with its a little bit of an herbal aftertaste that i really love mm. Then there's the other end of the spectrum would be something like an avocado honey where we'll take the bees into the avocado orchards and the bees will, there's basically nothing else for them to work on. And that honey comes out almost like a Guinness, like a stout beer. and that Like be
1: with a, a lot of depth to it. Right, and yeah. that would be
5: something like like my father loves to use in like his coffee or something as opposed to the sage, which we tend to recommend. is like, you know, drizzle it on a little bit of regatta cheese or... Mm or even make a lemonade with it, it's it's a great, mm. great makes a great lemonade.
1: Oh, John, I don't care what you say, you are a foodie.
5: Oh, okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, Why do I you... eat a
5: lot of food, but I just don't prepare it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> but that's okay, when someone else is making yeah. it for you, as long as they're using yeah, your honey.
5: Yeah, but uh, the, the, basic, the basic trick to making really good honey uh, it, is the beekeeper needs to, is getting the honey off, is going to a floral source, letting the bees make that particular honey, mm-hmm. and then as soon as, the honey flow is stopped and it's going to change over to something else, you either move your bees to another floral source, but wherever you do, you want to get that other honey off before it gets contaminated. Because then basically what happens if you don't do that is you end up with all wildflower honey, which is basically when you can't identify a single floral source.
1: Right, a blend. Now, what's brilliant about raw honey, and you read and hear a lot about the health benefits of raw honey, is that... When many of the honey is on the market, and you know, we talk a lot on this show, John, about looking at the source of your honey, because we're amazed from uh, how many Asian countries you can actually find a honey bear today. And by the way, if we can find local honey in Southern California or wherever you're listening, wherever you live, I guarantee you there is a brilliant beekeeper like Honey Pacifica's John Pato, and they're producing honey from your region. The brilliance of it is that when the honey is heated and filtered, it loses all of its health benefits. So this has all of the beautiful benefits of honey captured in the jar. And when it comes to allergies, you always recommend that uh, on your jars, in fact, that we eat the honey from our local indigenous areas.
5: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a basic, it's been around for a long time. I mean, it's in a lot of your folk medicine books. We've probably got customers that go back 25, 30 years. That, that, that's the main reason they buy our honey is to help them with their, their local allergies. And the, and, the, and the trick is is you want the honey to be as raw as possible because the whole theory behind it is you're getting exposed to the pollen grains that's in the raw honey. So if you, if you start heating the honey and filtering it and you, you, you're trying to make it look just more pretty, uh, you're basically defeating the per You're going to lose that benefit. And the other benefit, the other thing you'll lose by eating the honey is you'll be, honey being that it's a pre-digested food is going to contain those enzymes, those beneficial enzymes. Well, the enzymes are heat sensitive, so it's also better if you don't put any heat on the honey.
1: Right. I, I think that honey is really very miraculous in, in and for so many reasons. One, it is a completely all natural product. Two, it's dictated by the season like you said, by the floral, right, by what's around it in its environment, what's around the bees and the hives and so on. It's also the only food that never goes bad,
5: right? Right, right Jamie. Yeah, you, you, um, I mean, they found honey in King Tut's tomb and basically still edible, maybe a little bit dusty, but still
1: edible. But still edible. Yeah, Yeah, it is. It's the only food that you can actually keep in your pantry forever. And they always recommend that you stock up on honey because it is a natural sugar source. It will sustain you. In case of an emergency, go to your honey jar Mm -hmm. and have have at it. Really.
5: We have lots of... uh... Lots of people that buy five-gallon buckets of honey, believe it or not, and just keep it around for situations like that. Yeah,
1: just-in-case times. So talk just about the the different varieties of honey that you produce. The avocado we mentioned.
5: Uh, um, avocado, uh, which, again, is the dark, almost molasses-type tasting honey. The uh, eucalyptus, which is actually my favorite because it has a little bit of a butterscotch tone to it. and I That was the first honey we ever produced because we started off um, – Having a few beehives in the backyard here in Southern California and there's tons of eucalyptus trees, and I just get this fantastic butterscotch-toned honey, and I and I just that became my favorite. And then we have the uh, buckwheat, which is made in our in your local mountains. Uh, buckwheat is a nice, rich honey with a, I think a little bit of a sharp flavor to it. It's not a honey that you see a lot in the stores. That's another one that is excellent in a coffee or maybe an oatmeal. Mm. You know. It,
1: Right. And then you have your creamy honeys, which are whipped and flavor Yeah, there are our
5: wildflower honeys, and we, we whip oh. them and we infuse them with so a little good. bit of flavor. You know, we were, uh, years ago when we started, a lot of people, a lot of people unfortunately have not grown up eating raw honey, and they, they had sort of a anti-honey theme to them years ago. So part of the idea of flavoring and adding, infusing some natural ingredients was you, you could get them interested if you said, well, would you like to try a, a mango and they'd be like a mango, yeah. and and once they tasted that, it was a way to almost introduce them to honey, where they wouldn't they wouldn't be open to it before.
1: Wow, we're very pro honey, John, and we believe that honey has its place in breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I think it's a beautiful way to add a little bit of subtle sweetness to a vinaigrette. Um, I think it's gorgeous to bake with. And to glaze a ham with or uh, to make a simple glaze for a pork chop off the barbecue during the summer, I can imagine using your creamy mango, ooh, right off the grill. And sounds delicious to me. And there are endless options to satisfy any sweet tooth. Long before cane sugar, there was honey, the sticky golden sweetener that's been a kitchen staple for centuries. Try the local honey here in Southern California available to you from Honey Pacifica. It is a product of beekeeper John Poto, and it is available at Bristol Farms. All 13 stores are carrying it, and uh, check for it on the shelves because it's uh, running out fast. It's delicious stuff, John, and we thank you for sharing your passion.
5: Thank you for your time, Jim. Of course. Take care.
1: And we thank you for continuing to listen. We're going to make you hungry for more. Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana, right back at you. Don't go away. Grab your glass. We are satisfying your cravings. Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana in your radio. So everybody knows Chapter 1, The Modern Local, is downtown Santa Ana's next chapter. Jeff Hall is forging his own path at this restaurant, a salute to the gastropub, but with far more innovation than any other bar you've ever been to. And we love Chapter One. He knows his spirits, too. And he's joining us once again to Dish. We are always glad to have you in our radios. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning. Okay, so it's the heat of summer. And we're deep in the heart of this beautiful, fresh, wonderful season that I love. And to me, the pool and the beach and a backyard barbecue go hand in hand with cocktails. So what is the newest, the hottest cocktail on your menu, and how can we make it at home?
6: Well, I'll tell you, I was actually thinking about you at this one with your uh, pool wine, as my you call it. My pool wine. <laughs> That's just another uh,
1: excuse. Yes, yeah.
6: <laughs> you know, I, I really wanted to do something fun with gin with the summer, uh, yes. something refreshing, you know, kind of a, a gin fizz, if you will, but, but bring, like, a uh, local uh, fresh ingredients involved and, and ensure that it's perfect for, you know, in a 90-degree 90, 90 day on my patio, but so what we do, it's called the Blueberry Fizz, Ooh. and this one I actually use at the base. It's called Citadel Gin. It's phenomenal. It's a just kind of a newer spirit that, that's an affordable gin out on the market right now. It's got a great uh, uh, balance of spice as well as that that cucumbery refreshing side of it. That's why I thought it would work perfect for this. Nice. The name um, and, of it
1: again, Jeff?
2: Uh,
6: Citadel.
1: Citadel Gin. And it's one of the new
2: styles of gin that have, has hit the market?
6: Yeah, well, you've got, I mean, you've got so many new gins out right now. Just going go on that real quick is that, um, you've got some like Ransom who are touting the old Tom style where basically gin was kind of a product of, of a mistake where they had these really harsh spirits, uh, and they had to try to make them taste good. So they spiced them and seasoned them and put in juniper and put in all these other things. And that's what created that, that profile. Um, But, yeah, with with ones like Ransom, which is actually probably my favorite right now, they actually uh, started barrel aging it. So it's kind of gin for the whiskey drinker, Mm -hmm. um, which is absolutely phenomenal stuff. I love anything
1: from a barrel. You know that. And I think that that really creates a gin with character. It has far more depth to it. And there's something about gin in summer. I agree with you. It's a very classy cocktail. Oh, yeah. Okay, so tell us about the Blueberry Fizz.
6: So then we get uh, local uh, fresh blueberries mm-hmm. as well as fresh basil. We actually have our sous chef that's been going around not only to farmers markets but but literally been going out in the fields. There is still farms in Orange County. We actually found a couple. Uh, they just been doing amazing produce, and so we try to source everything for our drinks even with that. So you muddle those. You got a little bit of Chase Elderflower Liqueur. So one of my favorites out there. It's like Saint Germain, but they actually use the base is actually they're they're extremely refined and, and one of my favorite vodkas. That I believe I talked about it on the last show called Chase Vodka from the Terrell Potato Chip Company. And they said we have all these great potatoes. I make some vodka, so incredible. That's the base of the spirit. It's got that nice floral uh, effect to it. A little bit of Lillet, uh, an apéritif, and a little bit of Perucci uh, White Vermouth, which actually tastes like apple pie. So it's an incredible wow. incredible spirit. Mix it all together, shake it like crazy, drain it through a sieve and a cocktail glass with some uh, sexy ice cubes, as we like to call mm. them in our place.
1: Yes, and, you do uh, have sexy ice top cubes. And it off with
6: soda, and it is absolutely phenomenal. I love a little that. Little spice, little sweet, but it's still got depth and, and follows our, our tradition of, of it better drink like a wine. It better have a good beginning, great middle, and a lasting finish that, that you mm. keep uh, wanting to come back to.
1: I love that you aspire to that because your cocktails have more character to them than most that you'll find out there. And it's not just an overwhelming amount of liquors. It's the combination that I really believe is handcrafted. And I love that you're sharing your resources, too. For those that don't know, Jeff did disclose his secret of chase vodka here on this show and it was voted best vodka in the san francisco world spirits competition and this is a distillery that's really doing fabulous stuff so we are going to have to make the blueberry fizz you'll share that recipe i'd like to post it on the website
6: oh absolutely fabulous. well i can have your uh, your next opinion for uh, to see if it's up to your standards yeah okay well <laughs> after my
1: second i'll let you know <laughs> um, you mentioned whiskey Somewhere in there, just in the process of really creating a new inventive style of gin. And there's a new whiskey on the market I know you love from the last time I sat at your bar and we uh, got to catch up.
6: There's so many. There are lots of new whiskeys. And I try to taste them all.
1: (laughs) Oh, you're a giver.
6: That's (laughs) that's what we like about you. you Yeah, for the people. (laughs) Not for me, by any means. Um, You know what, there's actually, and, and I've been kind of fighting it, the whole white whiskey craze. It took a while because for me it was there's a reason why we put whiskey in beautiful oak barrels and keep it there for four, or five, ten years, because that's what makes it taste so good. Mm-hmm. But there is some new ones out of on the market. I know one uh, that we actually use in that blueberry fizz is called Midnight Moonshine.
1: Midnight Moonshine.
6: And it's beautiful, American-made, as, as any good moonshine should be. And, uh, you know, the secret is the way that they still call it whiskey is they – they literally age it. I think. I think with midnight, they all have different times, so it has to touch a barrel, has to touch an oak barrel. But I think they put it in for like a week, and it mm-hmm. gives just this little hint of the vanilla and a little hint of that smoky uh, nuttiness that, that you can get out of it. But amazingly approachable, really fun to play with in cocktails. They actually have uh, 110 proof, I believe it is, that they yeah. soak cherries, they soak blueberries, they soak, and they actually sell it that way, and it's phenomenal.
1: Oh, bring it on. Speaking of high oh, yeah. proof, I'm sure you're using it, but root liquor or root liqueur, all the craze. This is that sassafras flavored, and I just tasted it recently, root beer liqueur. And I'm making root liqueur root beer floats because there's nothing better than vanilla ice cream and root beer, unless, of course, you can find a liqueur to make an adult <laughs> root
6: beer float. No, actually, this, this product a beautiful product. I carry it. It actually comes from uh, Monrovia. It's right here in Southern California. Oh, talk Maine. about
1: local. I had no idea.
6: I believe they're called uh, Art of the Art of the, the Spirit, I think it is. Art and of the Spirit. Forgive me if I say it wrong. But they are uh, an incredible company. You know, this this root beer liqueur, on top of it being so balanced and drinkable and, and has such a wide array of spice to it, yet at the same time it's it's 80-proof. I mean, it's no, it's eighty proof yeah, they're not they're not watering it down, they're not uh they're not uh going shy on it, but you can't even tell. And it's absolutely amazing. I've I always have fun playing with it and I've done it in the past, I've done a root with uh with a little bit of ginger, because you know me and Ginger are yeah. very good friends.
1: You guys are very close.
6: <laughs> and it was absolutely amazing. Yeah, speaking yeah, of... yeah, I want to I try that, so the root beer flow. Okay, you though. can
1: come over too. Speaking uh, of, um, of you and your relationship with Ginger, that's the best Moscow Mule ever on the planet. Mark my oh. word, right after this show, you should get in your car, mm-hmm. drive to Chapter 1, downtown Santa Ana, and say, Chef Jamie says I should have a Moscow Mule, and they will know exactly what you mean.
6: Oh, it's, it's, it's amazing. We, actually, we, we got so lucky with that because everyone was doing it. I mean, you had a whole classic cocktail program, which yes. we finally mm-hmm. released our own uh, mm. classic Prohibition-style
2: so cocktail
6: great. list like everybody else, but we do it our way like anything else.
2: Yeah.
6: Um, but with our ginger, we said, okay, how do we take a, a Moscow mule and make it better? Mm-hmm. And we said, you know what, all the canned ginger that I had tried and they're starting to get some good ones out there, but everything was just too sweet. It didn't have that ginger punch to it. Mm-hmm. So we figured out a way. We actually started juicing our own ginger, uh, combining it together, and this perfect uh, blend of sugar and water, and then we carbonate them all to order. And mm-hmm. a little bit of that cheese soda the liqueur once again in there, so, and a little right. bit of fresh lime juice, and, mm-hmm. and my favorite uh, Russian standard vodka, yeah. right in a copper cup, and there is honestly nothing more refreshing in the world. I've actually had requests from... Uh, Relatives, uh, <laughs> people getting married, saying, "Okay, how do we how do we put it on the road? How do how we, do we it? make <laughs> it?
1: All right, stop I'm it! I'm
6: it out, but yeah, you're
1: I mean, making me thirsty. We'll be right over. Yeah, quit it. Oh. Oh, With yeah. a minute left here, you have the last sip, as I like to call it, on summer sangria. Inspire us.
6: Oh yes, oh so, yes. One of one of my favorites. We actually have a phenomenal sangria recipe. Uh, we make it like a cocktail, like any good uh, any good drink should be. So we make them all to order. Um, we actually just started recently using uh, Harry's Berries uh, for the drinks because I'm very serious, a little bit crazy because uh, they're not uh, inexpensive, but there's no other strawberries would do for me. So it starts off where you muddle some strawberries. Uh, you then put in uh, one of my favorite new uh, rums on the market now called El Dorado. Mm. It's an eight-year rum. It's very similar to like a Florida Cogna. It's got an awesome sweetness to it, really balanced that little bit of that spicy rum kind of kick to it. But then you do a little bit of rum, a little bit of lemon, and then we make one of my favorite ingredients to work with is panella, which is a raw cane sugar that we then turn into a simple syrup, and uh, a little bit of wine on top, shake it all up, and it is absolutely amazing.
1: Nice. Okay, and I'm going to contribute to the sangria suggestion here and tell you that my weekend sangria this weekend is a Caribbean-inspired sangria, and I'm going tropical fruit, mango, pineapple, lemon, and lime. and Oh, my gosh. Yeah, the combo's pretty delicious, so we should have a toast to sangria, you and I and Lana, as we oh. continue to toast you. Website looks fabulous, by the way. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely beautiful. You'll find more about Chapter One, the Modern Local, at chapter1tml.com. And you'll find this unique, innovative, extraordinary, it's a gastropub, but it's really so much more in Santa Ana. Uh, The best of the best. He is Jeff Hall, and he knows his spirits. What are you mixing? We want to know right to us live at chefjamie.com. There's more satiating conversation right after this. Don't go away.
0: Welcome to the second hour of delicious conversation with Chef Jamie Gwynn. Dish with celebrity chefs, cookbook authors, and food experts, and gain inspirational ideas. You'll learn kitchen wisdom, wine education, and culinary trends, and eat and drink like you've never done before. Food and wine with Chef Jamie Gwynn starts now.
1: Teaching you all the right moves from my kitchen to yours. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio along with Lana. This is a place for people who love to eat, delivering the world of food directly to your radio every Sunday morning, beginning at 8 a.m., Two hours of delicious conversation and always serving up seconds at chefjamie.com, C-H-E-F-J-A-M-I-E.com. You'll find videos, recipes, tips, and techniques to help make every day more delicious. And you can find me and become a friend at Chef Jamie Gwen on Facebook. We also hope that you'll join us live for our live broadcast from Bristol Farms Manhattan Beach next Sunday. Mark your calendar. We'll be there from 8 a.m. to noon sharing the hatch chili. Get your fix roastings in fact melissa's will be roasting hatch chilies the new mexico favorite upcoming saturdays and sundays at select bristol farm stores next sunday we're having a party and you're invited so please come join us for our live hatch chili roasting broadcast from bristol farms manhattan beach on sunday beginning at 8 a.m next sunday august 19th and please bring your kitchen knives because chris capehart and his mobile knife sharpening truck will be in the parking lot and charging, at uh, the believe, $3 per knife to hone your edge and definitely make you a better cook in your kitchen. A great opportunity to come out and join us. And stay tuned. Coming up later in this hour, you'll learn how to make the best homemade bacon. Oh, bring on the pork belly. D. N. Win of Break, and Dawn, Break of Dawn Restaurant will be with us, and we're going to share you uh, the Share with you rather the uh, beauty of our most recent jaunt to Vegas. And yes, it was beautiful from the patio of our Vegas hotel room. I know you're thinking patio in Vegas? Wait till you hear about the balcony. But first, it's time for dessert, right? Because you have to eat dessert first. Life can be very uncertain. She is the baking expert and seven time cookbook author, soon to be eight. With stress free strategies and simple techniques for busy cooks. We love our resident pastry chef, Abby Dodge, and she joins us live. You'll find her recipes and articles posted at chefjamie.com, and you can bake with her as she bakes with other uh, baking and sweet lovers on her website at abbydodge.com. Good morning, Abby. Good morning, ladies. How are you today? Good morning. We're good, and you? terrific you have had a fabulous show already today well thank you for listening and for tweeting yes it's it's been a well-rounded one and yeah i loved the booze talk i loved the honey information fabulous great information well thank you and now we need dessert yes (laughs) and now we need a little (laughs) pick-me-up speaking of honey before we get to some cobbler talk uh, can you give us a couple of tips to baking with honey? Because it's a question I get asked very often, and that is, you know, do you measure proportionally? How do the sweetness levels differ?
7: Well, actually, I'm glad you brought it up because it, it, in, I was thinking of talking about it in terms of this cobbler because I use honey in, um, like, pie fillings instead of sugar. Not Not all the time, but some of the time, especially when the honey has a complementary flavor to it. And I do it simply by taste, right? So it's not a, there's not a perfect equivalent, you know, granulated sugar to honey. Um, I do it by taste, by my sweetness and flavor level. And I always then add in a little bit more thickener to compensate for that extra liquid in there. Not a whole bunch because you don't want a super stiff fruit filling, but just enough to compensate for that.
1: Smart. Okay, good. So then we need to know that it's definitely done best by taste. And some honeys do differ in sweetness levels than others, depending upon whether it's avocado honey or, as John spoke about, maybe it's coming from the eucalyptus orchards. So you do need to determine it by the honey that you're using and by your own palate.
7: Exactly. And I think that that's what's fun about baking um, with with great ingredients like this and because everyone has a different palate, and you'll be pairing... Different fruits with different types of honey, uh, and it makes it really exciting. Mm. And I think it frees up home bakers to to feel empowered that they can switch it up and change it up and come up with something that's unique to themselves and unique to their flavor
1: palette. So it's really a fun a fun ingredient to play around with. I agree. And whether it be honey or agave, brown sugar or granulated white sugar, you can make the ultimate cobbler this summer. If you'd like to print the recipes and read along, please go to chefjamie.com. We have a Bake with Abby feature in our rotating photos and images that you'll see on the homepage. It's a monthly series where Abby provides us with recipes to make you a better baker and sweets maker. And this month's Recipes are a nod to the end of summer, Abby, right? So let's kick it off with uh, the cobbler.
7: Well, yes. These are, I sent along, I've given you guys two of my favorite late summer recipes. Um, the first is the skillet ginger plum cobbler with a poppy seed dumplings. Mm. Now, I say skillet, Jamie and Lana, because I think that starting, that using a skillet, using a two-pronged technique for cooking a cobbler, creates the best cobbler ever and you can do this on top of your stove and then bake in the oven for the second stage of cooking or jamie and lana you can do this on your grill outside if you don't even want to turn
1: on that oven oh loving that okay so whether it be cast iron uh whether it be a traditional saute pan could be an omelette pan uh, could be nonstick or stainless steel it needs to be heat resistant with a heat resistant handle
7: Exactly. And I would actually, for cobblers, I would stay away from uh, cast iron unless it's enamel-coated because uh, sometimes the the cast iron will discolor the fruit. So I stick with either an enamel-coated cast iron Hmm. or just a big stainless steel um, oven-proof handle um, skillet.
1: Very smart. So you're going to start with good quality unsalted butter for the filling. You bet. You know, I think all of my recipes, Jamie, yes. start with good quality unsalted. <laughs> yeah, we spice. like that about
7: you, Abby.
2: <laughs> we really do.
7: <laughs> it, should, it probably should be my middle name. <laughs> uh, but yes, yeah, so you're going to start with uh, some butter in a skillet, and you're going to melt that up. And while that's melting, you're going to toss together about two and a half pounds of ripe plums. Again, Jamie, you know me. I want you to substitute. If the apricots are, are fresher and riper, please use whatever is ripest. And then you're going to toss together the, the fruit with some, some sugar or honey, as we mm-hmm. just talked about. Um, I'm using fresh ginger, minced fresh, fresh ginger in this, mm-hmm. some cornstarch to thicken it, a little bit of lemon juice to brighten it, and a, a little bit of table salt, again, to brighten it. And then you're going to start these the, the fruits, simmering in the skillet, um, this does a couple of things. One, it gives you an opportunity to taste the sweetness level. Yes. Even if you're using granulated sugar. Um, and just give a little taste if you want to add a little more sugar or a little more lemon juice, a little more honey. And the second thing it does is it, it heats this fruit and it gets the juices going so it's nice and hot and bubbling when we're adding on our dumpling mixture what that does jamie is it gets rid of what i refer to it's not very pretty but i refer to it as, as soggy bottom cobbler topping <laughs> nobody likes that soggy bottom and this by heating up the fruit in advance and getting it nice and hot when we drop that topping onto that hot fruit we're already starting those dumplings cooking from the bottom up perfect
1: Oh, that is so super smart because it's true. Whether it be sweet or savory, chicken and dumplings or a traditional cobbler, you know, also called oftentimes a slump, could be a Betty. No matter what, the soggy topping underneath is the last few bites left in the bowl that you sacrifice when you're finishing your dessert. And you're so right. I love the fact that you're cooking that cobbler topping from the underside first when we come back we're going to teach you how to make that poppy seed dumpling finish up this cobbler and we're going to create the ultimate summer popsicle with abby middle name butter dodge she's in your radio our resident pastry chef adding a little bit of sweetness to the end of summer chef jamie gwen along with lana stay tuned we'll be right back My goal is to satiate your appetite every Sunday. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana in your radio. Tune in every Sunday beginning at 8am for two hours of delicious conversation and find the recipes heard on this show at chefjamie.com We are adding a little bit of sweetness to your Sunday. Our resident pastry chef Abby Dodge making you a better dessert maker and baker and we thank you for sticking around Abby.
7: Oh it's always my pleasure.
1: Oh we left off with The fruit in the skillet and the fact that it's bubbling away, therefore cooking the underside of this simple dumpling, right? So there's no more soggy underneath dumplings.
7: Exactly. Exactly.
1: And the dumpling's really simple, actually. The recipe itself is just flour, sugar, you know, the standards, right? Baking powder, salt,
7: Exactly. Um, I like to say that for, for this dumpling recipe, there's no power tools
1: needed. Here. <laughs> good. Okay, good.
7: It's super easy. And basically, we're just going to combine, um, mix up our wet ingredients, the egg and et cetera, and blend it folded into the dry ingredients. And we're going to keep it in the fridge until that fruit, so it firms up and doesn't get too melty until the fruit is nice and hot. Um, and I think that what you'll see, and actually I think the picture that's on the website, on your website, Jamie, I think really shows how once this this dumpling is baked, it's it's tender, it's light, it's buttery, it it has all, and it's cooked all the way through. I think it has yes. all of the elements that will complement the the fruit filling that's Mm. that's been cooking
2: up. I love that it does not have a soggy bottom.
1: No, you can see the rise from the bottom Mm -hmm. to the top of the dumpling and the color's beautiful. You can see that you used an ice cream scoop too, which I think is really smart, Abby, to disperse all around. Yes, and
7: I think I I always use those mini scoops, um, whether I'm doling out cookie batter or dumpling batter. It just makes it easier. It's cleaner. It comes, you know, you have the spring action, so the dumpling mm-hmm. batter comes right out, and it, you can really make
1: quick work out of this dumpling batter. For sure. You're going to bake about 30 to 40 minutes, and as Abby mentioned, this can be done on the barbecue. So while you're grilling your steaks and uh, firing up those hatch chilies, you know, for uh, a beautiful side dish along with roasted tomatoes and grilled corn, you've got your cobbler working as well. Once you take everything off the grill, clean Close the lid and let that cobbler cook while you're sitting down to feast. And then you say let it rest for 10 to 15 minutes for the juices to settle. Same rule applies to a steak. We want those juices to uh, sort of disperse all through the meat and let the protein relax again. Same rule applies to a cobbler.
7: Absolutely. Absolutely. And you've Um, got great flavor. Mm. You know something? This is also, um, I've served this um, reheated. Uh, And you can do that on top of the grill, too. It also, by the way, ladies, makes a delicious breakfast, too. Mm. Leftovers are fabulous for breakfast.
1: We knew that. That's why we're friends. (laughs) (laughs) Dessert is perfect for breakfast.
2: I love blueberries for breakfast. This would be perfect.
1: Oh, it sure would. And you could do Mm. a mix of fruit. You could do plum, apricot peach blueberry or a mix thereof all of them I think an, a lovely compliment to ginger we can't wait to make it Abby it's on my list it might just be dessert tonight and then if you would cool us down with a couple minutes left here you shared a minty peach mojito pop and I love that you're taking the cocktail to the new le- to a new level
7: Well, do I know you, too? Yeah, I was going to say. You you
1: just gave away that we've been friends a long time.
7: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I sent along this recipe because I think that, that, uh, number one, everybody likes a nice popsicle, especially if it's got a hint of booze. Now, it's not too boozy. We don't have to be afraid of it. Um, But I used peaches that were slightly overripe, right? Just maybe they're not overripe, they're not mushy, but I think it's a perfect use to... Blend up these peaches. Now, I don't peel my peaches when I bake with them or when I make popsicles, Mm. Um, but you can certainly peel them if you want to. But I blend up these peaches and I mix them with a little bit of sugar syrup, um, some fresh lemon juice. I use light rum, but you could use any of those liqueurs that you were talking about on the show today. Mm. Um, And I then throw in a little bit of finely chopped fresh mint. And I freeze this mixture in popsicles. But in popsicle molds, but any any molds. You know, the small little three ounce paper
2: cups that you can get. Mm-hmm. Any shape is good. Oh, that's nice. And could I change the peach to banana? Oh. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm
1: going I'm to both it, I'm going to both of your houses. <laughs> and the fact that you're using just a minimal amount of alcohol should not inhibit the freezing factor, Abby? It doesn't at all. It just
7: it gives it a little bit of flavor and heat, the the light rum, uh, but it will not, it won't impede the the freezing at all.
1: Okay, mm-hmm. good. Now I'm going to take Abby Dodge's minty peach mojito pops to another level. Once you've made Abby's popsicles. Pull out your biggest wine goblets and as you saw me on KTLA Channel 5 do, make it doubly boozy because it's the end of summer and you're home and not driving, right? Uh, You're going to stick around in your own backyard and fill those glasses with a popsicle in each of the goblets. Then pop open a bottle of Prosecco or Cava or your favorite inexpensive sparkling wine and pour a splash of the bubbly over each popsicle. And Abby, what happens is everyone's walking around with a cocktail that's now infused with your minty peach mojito flavor and the bubbles just sort of dance on your tongue and you have a cross between a cool dessert and a necessary after-dinner drink and I think it's just fabulous. And that's why I love you, Jane. That is fantastic. So you'll come to my house? Yeah, you I will. good. We love it. Uh, You can bake together with Abby. Her continuing online baking classes are a wonderful culmination of bakers and sweets lovers that are learning the tools of the trade from the former pastry chef and uh, author of seven cookbooks, soon to be eight, by the way. We love the last book, which um, had desserts for today, four ingredients, and we're very excited, Abby, and we know that we're going to release the information here first, and you will hear from Abby exclusively coming up in just a few weeks. Abby's new book called Mini Treats and Handheld Sweets Is releasing next month and you will hear her on this show sharing the beauty of this sweet shop sampler of treats. We saw a sneak peek of the book. It looks amazing. Congratulations, Abby. We can't wait to talk about it. Thanks. It's going to be really fun. Yeah, really fun. And you can find Abby Dodge's monthly series for bakers and sweet makers on the website at chefjamie.com and you'll hear Abby here once again in just a few weeks highlighting Mm -hmm. her new cookbook. We adore you, Abby, and we thank you for sharing uh, the sweeter side of life. Oh, thank you.
7: It's always my pleasure.
1: Have a good week. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, sounds good, ladies. Okay. When bye. we come back, we're going from popsicles and cobblers to homemade bacon. Bring on the pork belly. This show's just getting more delicious every day. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana. Don't go away. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana in your radio. We really like bacon around here. In fact, who doesn't like bacon? Chances are you have bacon in your fridge right now. But that's store-bought bacon. Wait till you learn right here, right now, how you can make Truly great-tasting, absolutely delicious bacon in its homemade fashion. Lana and I were recently pigging out at an all-pork and swine event, mm. and we came across what was the best dish at this big eat-fest, and we always know and love when it is a dish of one of our favorite chefs. Chef D. N. Wynn's cooking style is eclectic in the best way. The menu at his Laguna Hills breakfast brunch and lunch nook called break of dawn has french and vietnamese influences there's lots of undertones of other global style cuisine and he's taking us around the world each plate at a time we love when you join us d and oh did we love that bacon good morning chef
4: Good morning, ladies. How are you? <laughs> good morning. We're good. And you? Good, thanks. Wow, that's the best introduction I've ever had. Really?
1: Okay, now you have to teach us how to make the best bacon we might have ever had. This is a process of curing first and then smoking, or braising and then smoking, in fact, a homemade bacon, right?
4: Yeah, basically, you know, it's uh, the process takes me about 10 days to make. We cure the belly for about 7 days, and we'll take them out, and we'll dry them out, and uh, we put it in the fridge and let that air dry out of the bacon. Mm. When you do that, the bacon, the flesh, it creates a little bubble, and when you smoke it, and it soak up the smoke uh, a lot better than not drying it out. Mm. So that, that's basically the 8th day, and the 9th day... I have a giant smoker at home, and I'll smoke it about at least six hours of cold smoke at 156, 57 degrees. The next day, um, we braise them up. We braise them up. It uh, takes me about four or five hours to braise. And uh, I got a little technique that I'm going to show you how to braise it right. uh, at home. Yeah, and on the, the
1: 11th day, chef, we
4: eat. Um, oh, yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> right. Yeah, out, yeah.
1: Okay, so wait. Start at the beginning because this is a process that you can master at home. Homemade bacon tastes extraordinarily different than the plastic package of sliced bacon. And you need to start with pork belly. What is your favorite Style or cut of pork belly to begin with.
4: Well, uh, pork belly. When I buy pork belly, you can go and get any of your favorite butcher, uh, or uh, uh, go to any Asian market. Uh, Every single one will have uh, pork belly. But you got to look at two two different kind of pork belly. One that they're taken off the bone, which is a thinner uh, slab of bacon, uh, you know, of the belly. I I mean, I what I like to do, I use the uh, the bone in uh, um, pork Belly. belly which is like, I would say almost an inch and a half thick from some part go to two inch thick.
1: Right. It's much thicker than the simple slab belly that Mm -hmm. you might find. And by the way, you can go to your butcher at Bristol Farms. As Chef mentioned, he has his resources. The Asian market is a great resource as well. So we're starting with preferably bone-in pork belly.
4: And, you know, anything that you cook, when you cook, you know, in most uh, Third World country or you know, mostly uh, ethnic cuisine, we leave the bone in. You know, that's where the flavor is at. You yes. Know, the, bone, the bone marrow and everything, you know, that's, mm. it, it, it introduces a lot of flavor into the thing.
1: best part, for sure. So, okay. All right, the next oh. <laughs> step is the cure. And your cure is ginger and rosemary, and it has this beautiful, aromatic, herbaceous note to it.
4: Oh, thanks. Uh, basically, we do what we we start out with uh, for home cook. You, you start out with five pound of uh, of uh, belly. Right. So what I do is I use a combination of uh, ginger, rosemary, and garlic. Mm. So I do a uh, two portions of ginger, one part of rosemary, and one part of garlic.
1: Fresh or dried, chef?
4: Um, everything fresh. Everything uh, fresh. And you basically put in your cuisinart and just uh, quickly chop them up. Got it. Okay. And from there, salt-wise, you use uh, some culture salt. Or, and, I, you know, when I do uh, um, bacon, I don't do nitrate. That's one of those things that, you know what, we've eaten a lot of bad food already, and I, I really don't want uh, myself or my consumer to eat any more of the nitrate, you know, uh, uh, sodium nitrate products for the curing. Right. And basically, you call them the pink salt. Pink salt. You, know, when you buy When you buy bacon at the store, you see that big slab of bacon. You, Why you see it's pink? Color in it because of, of, of the nitrate. So when we do it, we don't we don't use the, the nitrate because the salt itself will be safe to cure bacon as long as you do um, um, you keep the sanitation you know, at the minimum, You know. Right. So you're using kosher salt. Okay. So kosher salt uh, with that five pound uh, portion, um, I would say about eight tablespoons of kosher salt. Okay. And I would put a little sugar, about one one and a half to two tablespoons tablespoon of brown sugar.
1: Brown sugar.
4: So it's just, it you know, to balance uh, offset that, that salt uh, of the cure. Of
1: nice. So we've so, essentially made this sort of wet paste a cure of sugar and salt and ginger, rosemary, and garlic.
4: Exactly. And, you know, of course, you can also put your, your black pepper or Sichuan pepper that we use. Mm. So we just rub the whole uh, slab of bacon, you know, both sides. And what we do is we get a Ziploc bag. And to fit that, you know, uh, snugly, uh, fit them tightly when we put that in there and chill it in the fridge for seven days. And every day you turn them.
1: So seven days, the belly cures airtight and you turn it and you rub it and you tell it how pretty it is. Yeah. <laughs> <It's> like,
4: <laughs> you talk uh, really sweet to it. You care <laughs> <laughs> it. So, you know, from the salt and the, um, the, the, um, uh, the herb mix. Right. You know, When any protein hits salt, it will extract, all the liquid get extracted. So that liquid will kind of intermingle, kind of basically marinate that slab of meat, Mm. and all that flavor will soak inside. And that seven-day period, the pork is cured with salt and flavor.
1: Brilliant. Okay, so now take us through the next few steps so that we can complete the dish.
4: So on the eighth day, you take them out, uh, wash them out, pat them dry and you leave them open on the rack in your uh, refrigerator. So your re- refrigerator uh, got a little fan in there, and it just dried out. And right. when it dry out, you can, you can look at the, the piece of uh, uh, belly. There's some bubbly uh, vapor that uh, stay on top of the, the meat. So that, that kind of bubble, it attracts when you smoke it. It sucks up the smoke into the flesh.
1: Fabulous. So we could, old- go, we could go straight to the barbecue at this point, Chef.
4: Yeah, right after that, uh, that's the number, number eight, right? right? Um You just take number nine, you come out. Basically, you, could, you can go and uh, smoke that for six hours. What kind of wood are you using? I'm using hickory. Hickory, okay. So um, with your, what, your um, at home, if you have a smoker, that'd be great. But, you know, you can also use. homemade smoker too sure
1: that's what i use my barbecue for and we have a whole slew of ways to impart smoke whether it be with chips in a pan that's been perforated or if you have a smoking box on your grill uh that's a wonderful way to to create flavor
4: so, yeah, what we do is uh, we, we smoke them about, like I said, 150, no more than 160. Right,
1: Heap
4: degrees. About, uh, about six hours. Fabulous. So right after the six hour, you know, we'll, we'll get them out, and the next day is the braising one, uh, the braising of, of the belly. This at home, you don't need any liquid to braise this uh, belly. What I do is I'm, I make another rosemary and garlic and ginger uh, mixture. Without the salt. Without the salt. Okay. Basically, at half of the portion, I rub the whole meat again, the mm-hmm. belly again, and I plastic wrap them. Triple <sighs> or, you know, four times at least, plastic wrap them. Okay, here's the reason why you wrap them. When you wrap the, with the plastic and you stick it in the oven at 190 to 200 degrees, you basically bake that belly with that plastic wrap.
1: Right, and essentially the fat on the belly itself is going to self-baste. You're sort of insulating it.
4: Yes, exactly.
1: Brilliant. And how long does it braise?
4: We do it, I would say, about four hours. It just depends on, you know, the the temperament of the the oven. We just kind of check. It depends on the thickness, too. And, you know, you feel touch you know, when you open it up and you, you touch the belly, mm. you know, and you, you know if it's done or not. Yeah,
1: and you, and you can tell by the smell and the look of it. It's caramelized and beautiful. Yeah. And if you slice it thick, you have Chef D. N. Wynn's pork belly. If you were to slice it thinner and cook it again, you have homemade-style bacon. Yeah. And you learned it here first. It is Chef D. N. Wynn of Break of Dawn's braised homemade bacon cured with ginger, rosemary, and garlic. We're going to attempt it, but better yet, we'll just come into the restaurant and uh, feast off your menu some point soon.
4: I'm glad you like it. I hope I see you soon. Oh. It was
2: fabulous. Thank you, Dee.
1: Truly fabulous. Thank you for sharing your passion. You can absolutely indulge in Chef Dee and extraordinary cuisine. The restaurant is called Break of Dawn. Wonderfully casual breakfast, brunch, and lunch in Laguna Hills, 8 a.m. to about 1.30, Wednesday through Friday, and then on the weekends, open 8 a.m. to 2, just inland from Laguna, breakofdawnrestaurant.com. Oh, now I'm starving for homemade bacon. The delicious conversation continues right after this. Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana. Don't go away. New ideas, quick tips, easy recipes. You'll find us serving up seconds. At ChefJamie.com, Chef Jamie went along with Lana in your radio as the delicious conversation continues. We took a recent jaunt to Las Vegas and thought we would share to you, uh, share with you rather, uh, some of the newest flavors on the Strip. Lana, I know what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. But we have to disclose just a little bit (laughs) Mm -hmm. and we thought we would start by mentioning that there's a secret pizza joint at the Cosmopolitan did you know I don't know anyone that doesn't love pizza nevertheless a secret hallway with a guido that's cooking pizza pies that are as good really Mm -hmm. as New York City that was a great slice of pizza thin thin crust really thin and crispy mm-hmm. right and really tasty cheese and we had white pizza mm-hmm. and tr- a traditional slice and they have shakers of oregano and cheese oh, sitting yeah. on the counter and there's a pinball machine and pictures on the wall and you have to know the hallway so when you venture to the cosmopolitan las vegas be sure to ask for the secret pizza joint but first imagine a patio off of your hotel room yes in vegas And you're overlooking these dancing fountains and there's views of the Eiffel Tower and lights as far as your eye can see. And you think that you might be munching on a croissant in Paris, but you're not. You're at the Cosmopolitan Las Vegas, which we really felt was bringing a whole new meaning to this Vegas vacation. And we really wanted to tell you about it. We visit Vegas often because it's become a mecca of celebrity chefs with new and very unique restaurant concepts. And we find it very um, trend setting in fact. So we booked a stay at the Cosmopolitan Las Vegas and we're very delighted to find out that it was far more wined and dined and pampering and relaxing uh, in the city that never sleeps than we expected. Mm -hmm. And by the way, I slept very well because the bed was amazing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Amazing. When you walk in the Cosmopolitan Las Vegas, you get this giant video screen all throughout the lobby area that contains this elaborate video art that delights your eye. And the casino's on the first floor. There's a shopping mecca on the second floor, but very eclectic stuff, not the traditional shops that you know. And then the third floor is a bevy of all of those celebrity chef-driven restaurants. And there's far more than the typical casino bells and whistles that are ringing in your ears. But we'll get back to the food in a second. Um, it's very hip and trendy. It's sort of modern without being over the top. Did you think so, Lana? Mm-hmm. And each room, because it was built as condos, boasts what is a domestic appliance. Now, we never use the dishwasher, mind you. But I like the bar sink very mm-hmm. much. Yes. And there were lovely upgrades to a typical hotel room, like the crazy great shower. And I love the heated hotel Uh, towel rack and all of those things but it feels more like a condo than it does a hotel room Mm. and then there's the balcony every room has a patio that you can sit outside and see vegas from Mm. it was fabulous it was absolutely amazing to be able to venture out in the morning or you know early evening and catch a sight of the view So, where did we start? Let's see. Oh, we started... We had
2: ice cream. (laughs) (laughs) Of course.
1: We were just by the pool, right? And so, um, for Lana's love of ice cream, we started our culinary journey at the Cosmopolitan's Neapolitan Bar, which is uh, where handcrafted cocktails and ice cream come together. The Neapolitan spiked milkshake, it has tequila rose, strawberry, and chocolate ice cream, and biscotti liqueur-infused whipped cream. It was killer. Mm. And then I love the grass is always greener, they call it. It's a grasshopper ice cream, Dutch caramel vodka, salted caramel sauce, and crushed thin mint cookies. Mm -hmm. So you must start with ice cream.
2: And there's spirited shakes and tipsy
1: toppings. Yeah, really fun. So it's where cocktails meet ice cream at the Cosmopolitan. It's called Neapolitan. And you know what? It's a really good place to start.
2: Lots of liquid nitrogen.
1: Yeah, it's It's fun. And CO2 canisters, (laughs) right. Then um, we planned an evening at Milos, which is the West Coast counterpart to the New York City and Miami Greek Cathedral to Mediterranean cuisine. They too have an outdoor patio. They also have a salmon sashimi that is not to be missed with fried capers, and this lemony olive oil. We started with a Greek sparkling wine. That was a really, actually, unique wine list, in fact. A great surprise. A, a fine surprise, I mm-hmm. agree. Very buttery, not too dry. And it was paired with this wonderful, almost like the Greek version of hummus, but nuts But based on nuts. Right. Mm So um, almonds, garlic and olive oil, this sort of paste that was incredibly addictive and served with wonderful bread. And then we had a fried zucchini, an eggplant platter. Mm -hmm. And then you're led over to the kitchen where all the fish is displayed on ice and you choose your sea treasure and then they cook it up just anyone you want it starts from eight inches a foot two feet right. three feet are you it- going for white fish or bream or are you trying a Mediterranean specialty mm-hmm. uh, is sea bass your fish of choice it was delicious mm-hmm. uh we partied late into the night. Uh, There is this gorgeous uh, chandelier bar at the Cosmopolitan Las Vegas we loved. We went to the spa, which was truly indulgent. And then we have to quickly get through our next Uh, lunch and dinner.
2: Lunch at China Poblano or China Poblano as you pronounce it.
1: Yes. And Chef Shirley's been on this show. It's Mexico meets Asian. It's from my culinary crush, I call him, Jose Andres. And it's where tacos meet shumai. And there is one particular bun called a golden pig. It's the greatest Mm. name. And it's this fried dumpling with sweet pork and it has a sweetened, Condensed milk sauce that you dip in. The tacos are outrageous. The mango rice dessert was incredible. Oh,
2: have dessert first,
1: maybe. <laughs> and um, and it was a fabulous ethnic mix. So don't mm. miss china Poblano. And then last but not least, we took a break from eating. And then when we were hungry again, not not far off, uh-huh. um, we indulged in what is my friend Chef Scott Conant's newest creation. It's called DOCG, and he owns Scarpetta. And you mm. hear him on the radio here very often because I call the spaghetti that he makes crack spaghetti never had crack but that's what must be in it because I have to finish the bowl every time and this is like a an Italian trattoria and because you're sitting on its own floor and the cosmopolitan of just restaurants you don't feel like you're in the hustle bustle of Vegas we had it was like the equivalent of culinary porn this fonduta melting cheese with that incredible bread that mm-hmm. chef Dana brought over and it has a fried duck egg on top mm-hmm. and it was like Italian Heaven. The DOCG pizza. Oh, when they shaved truffles for about 20 minutes oh. over the top. That was incredible, Amazing. too. And a great Amazing. wine list. The Barolo was beautiful. The service was impressive. Uh, and then they've been named or called the best dessert in las vegas so you must have the caramel budino it was an incredible vegas Mm. experience and we hope you'll check it out there's more to our vegas review at the cosmopolitan las vegas at ChefJamie.com.
2: but we hope to see you all next week at our live show
1: yes next sunday august 19th bristol farms manhattan beach bring your kitchen knives because we have a mobile sharpening truck coming. Chris Capehart will be there sharpening your knives and the Melissa's crew will be roasting chilies outside the mm-hmm. store. It's Hatch chili season, you wanna get your fix. You'll learn how to make chili-infused truffles and a chili ristra.
2: That's chocolate truffles.
1: That's chocolate truffles. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, And Chef Ida and Robert from Melissa's, the Bristol Farms crew, breakfast is on us. Come join us. More information. Bristol Farms, Manhattan Beach. That's right. More information at chefjamie.com. We hope you'll join us next Sunday live and every Sunday right here in In Your Radio when the delicious conversation continues Chef Jamie Gwen signing off along with Lana. We thank you for listening, and we hope you continue to eat well. Have a delicious Sunday.